0: Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. The book of Psalms is a a book
1: that's very familiar to probably anyone who knows anything or is associated with the Bible at all. It's certainly one of the most popular books of the Old Testament and maybe even the most popular of the entire Bible. In fact, if I were to do a poll, let's have a raise of hands who think feels like Psalms might be their favorite book in the Bible. Yeah, there's quite a few hands up because it is. It's a very, very um, popular book. In fact, uh, I, I found that BibleGateway.com told us that Uh, I believe it was last year, it was the most visited book on their website. And I think the reason for the popularity of the book of Psalms is because there's really a psalm for everything. There's psalms that are for mourning and for rejoicing. There are songs about repentance and of praise. Every human emotion, every human experience is really covered in the book of Psalms. It's pretty incredible. And I just wanted to give you, you know, some background about the book itself. Obviously, the book of Psalms, as most of you probably know, is a collection of songs that were written by authors across the time of the Old Testament. And what's the purpose of this book? Um, in, In the book that we've been using for this series, the Handbook on Psalms and Wisdom Literature, it tells us that this book of the Bible tells us how the nation of Israel survived through fear, fire, occupation, and exile. And it also tells us today how we have and will continue to survive our own tribulation. And if you look through the book of the Old Testament, or the books of the Old Testament, you'll find all of these crazy things, right? Just enemies coming against the nation of Israel, enemies coming against um, the individuals of the nation of Israel. And and a lot of times they would write out these Psalms and prayers, and these are what are collected to make up the book of Psalms. And Israel would use the Psalms to pass the knowledge of their history, and of God from generation one generation to another. This is an extremely effective way to teach concepts and ideas. This is because when the content is beyond our memory, all we must do is recall the tune, and the knowledge just suddenly seems to flood back into our mind. And we still do this today. For example, if I were to ask you, what letter does the letter come after in the alphabet? Probably most of you, if I were to ask you that, or maybe you just did it in your own head, you went L-M-N-O-P, and then, and then you got the answer. It was O, right? And that's because you putting a tune to um, information is a really great way to remember that information. And the Israelites use this uh, as a way to pass on their knowledge, to their children and their children's children. Some modern songs still use scripture today. Right? We all know the probably the really popular song The Blessing by Carrie Job, right? And that that song directly quotes from the book of Numbers. Um, another song, it was probably a couple decades ago at this point, but, um, and there are numbers that, many, many, many songs that I could give as examples, but these are just two that popped into my head as I was studying for this was, um, IBC did uh, a song, um, Psalm 23, right? And they literally the whole song that they sang was just Psalm 23 put to a tune. It probably wasn't the same melody or tune that was used in the Old Testament. But they just found a a melody that worked for it. And that's how they got the song. And if I asked you right now to quote for me Numbers chapter uh, 6 or Psalm 23, you might not be able to do that off the top of your head. But if I asked you maybe to sing... The Blessing by Carrie Job or seeing Numbers, or excuse me, Psalm 23 by IBC, you might be able to do that a little bit more easily. And if you did that, you would be quoting the Bible, right? And um, when the new, oh, excuse me, and our author said this about the process of using songs and music as a tool for education. He said, but just as importantly, when doctrine is put to music, the music has always has a ways of planting seeds of doctrine in the fertile soil of our affections. And our affections have everything to do with the person we become. Israel started out making the psalms, but then the psalms made Israel. So they wrote of their experiences, their experience in the wilderness, their experience of the exodus. David wrote many, many, many times about his experiences and what he knew about God because of those experiences. And so those experiences created these songs, but then as they were given to uh, the next generation, these, these songs informed what they knew about God. So what they knew about God informed the songs, and then the songs would inform their children what they knew about God, and it would teach them, and it's it's pretty incredible, um, and it, it it shows I think again why it's still such a popular book even today, and the Book of Psalms is actually broken into different separate books or divisions. There are five divisions in the Book of Psalms, and this five book structure is likely connected to the five books of the Torah. I've actually seen. Um, study guides, and I've heard of people studying through the books of the Torah with these five different books in the book of Psalms. For example, you would read book one, which is um, from Psalm 1 and two, till Psalm 41 or 42, uh, and you would read Genesis along with that psalm you read them together and study them and they would kind of inform each other even though Not necessarily. It's not that psalm 1 is about Genesis 1, but they just kind of are connected in that way, which is it's Incredible. It shows that even though there are many authors, there's really one author Um, And then you could do exodus with book 2 and and so on with with the torah or the first five books of the bible And the author of the handbook of the Psalms tells us this. He says, the initiation here is that the recantation of what is contained in these five books will shape the heart according to the dictates of the Torah. See, the purpose of the law was to shape the heart of the people. Didn't work out super well. That's why Jesus came, right? But these five books, like the Torah, are trying to shape your heart towards the things of God, and then he says, "Thus, the Psalms is a work of spiritual formation." But even within these five divisions, there, each of these books have their own th- kind of theme or emphasis. For example, Book One, which is chapters 1 through 41, emphasizes the prayers of ancient Israel and its Torah. So these were the prayers, and it literally is about the law of God. Book two, which are chapters 42 through 72, is actually marked by its diversity. There's a lot of different, obviously there are a lot of different psalmists, there's different psalmists throughout, but each of these psalmists have a different theme to contribute to this second set of chapters, chapters 42 through 72, These authors include people like the sons of Korah, Asaph, David, and Solomon. And again, each of these authors kind of have their own themes that they contribute to this book. Book three reminds Judah of its obligations to remember God's works of the past. And this may have been marked because most of these songs were written when the northern kingdom had failed to keep their covenant with god so the authors and god by the with the inspiration of from god they they were trying to remind you to hey there is a covenant between you and god and you need to keep up your end of the covenant and so that's what the emphasis of these this third book is the fourth book highlights the brevity of life and God's faithfulness and the importance of Moses. And this may have been collected and put together during the time of exile, which is interesting that they would emphasize Moses and the brevity of life during this time, but I think it was maybe a reminder that, hey, imagine being exiled from your nation, right? We're all from or live in Ohio. Maybe some of us aren't from here, but imagine somebody said, okay, you got to come live in this other state or this other country. And it was reminding them that, hey, even though this seems like a big deal, you know, God's still in control here. And then book five commands Israel to praise I am, or the I am, God himself, right? Through this praise, we as the readers are able to learn the most about the attributes of God. Through our praise of God of what he's done, that's how we can really learn who he is. And praise celebrates who God is and what he has done. And the first psalm of each of these five divisions contain a metaphor intended to help remind the reader of the themes that are found within the book. And I thought this was really cool. And we're going to go through each of those metaphors, okay? So the first book, the first metaphor is found in Psalm chapter 1. And the metaphor talks about a tree planted by the rivers of water. And the purpose of this was to remind the reader that the Torah was Israel's secret source of nourishment. And guess what? It's not a secret anymore, right? But the Bible is still our source of nourishment, right? It's daily bread to us. It's our sustenance spiritually. Book two, in Psalm 42, the first uh, chapter of, of the second book in th- these divisions, describes a thirsty heart or or deer. And it's stressing the soul's yearning for God's presence in Zion. Okay? For book three, beginning in chapter Psalm chapter 73, it talks about the temple in Judah or, or, during this time, Uh, When Psalm 73 was written, the temple of Judah is under threat. And and as we know, it is eventually destroyed. And considering this, we are given the image of slipping feet first. And this reminds us that the road upward to God is narrow. It's uneven. And we will be met with surprises. And how many can say that's true, right? Right. Everybody in their life has had surprises, each and every one of us. It doesn't matter how old or how young we are, we've, we've experienced surprises. But again, God's still in control, right? Um, for book four in Psalm chapter 90, the metaphor that we are given is the image of grass which flourishes in the morning but is cut down in the evening, and this tells of us of the fragility and temporal nature of life in comparison to the everlastingness of god which to me this set of books from chapter 90 to chapter 106 knowing that that is the theme it sounds a lot to me like what we went over last week which was ecclesiastes right the the temporalness the vapor of life and then for book 5 and psalm 107. The psalm promises that God waters the wilderness and brings a a people there so that they can build a great city. And I think, to me, when I hear that metaphor and I think of it, I'm thinking of how God is preparing a people. He's bringing a people to him for that great everlasting city on the other side. Am I right? So each of these five books, so each of them, it's so cool, they all have a certain theme, they all start in a certain way, and they all end, actually, in a similar manner. They each end with a similar doxology or praise to God. And many of these uh, doxologies, as I say them, we're going to go through them quickly, are probably something that you are familiar with. Okay? So book one ends in Psalm Chapter 41, verse 13. And it says this, Blessed by the Lord, God of Israel, from everlasting and to everlasting, amen and amen. So this is a praise to God. And this is how the first book in chapter 41, it concludes, okay? In book two, the last verses are Psalm chapter 72, verses 19 and 20, and it it finishes by saying this, And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Then, going on to book three, In Psalm chapter 89 and verse 52, it tells us, Blessed by the Lord forevermore, amen and amen. Okay? And so you can see the theme of. They're blessing God. They're giving God praises and saying, hey, these praises are forever and ever. And then Psalm 106 and 48 continues this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen. Praise ye the Lord. And then the last one in book five for Psalm chapter 150 and verse six, it says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. So I just think it's so interesting. There are these five divisions. And again, I said it already, but I'll say it again. It just speaks that even though there are many, many authors, there is one true author. But each of these books, they begin in similar ways with these metaphors. They end. They each have a certain theme about them. They all end in a very, almost, almost word for word in some cases, ending. And it's just incredible to look at, in my opinion. And... Uh, there are These are the big divisions, but there are, are also smaller subdivisions found within the book of Psalms as well. For example, there are different Psalms that were used for different festivals and holidays for the nation of Israel. Like um, Psalms, the chapters 113 through 118 would have been read or recited over the holiday of the Passover, which we just uh, passed, as we all know. Uh, it ended uh last week and so they would on each day of the passover they would read psalm 113 on the first day psalm 114 on the se- second day and so on and then another example of this and and there are many 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 examples that if if i tried to do all the examples there would we be here till next wednesday maybe longer but another example of this would be psalm chapter uh chapters 120 through 134 are known as the Songs of Ascent. And these were likely sung during the pilgrimage of the Israelite people uh, to the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they would use these Psalms for certain special times and special days. And if you read the Psalms, as I'm sure probably everybody in this room has read at least one Psalm, you'll notice sometimes that there are these superscriptions. Anybody ever notice those before? Yeah. And 116 of the 150 Psalms actually have a superscription. And these superscriptions do many things. They aren't just there for just to add, a, you know, to the word count. You know, it's like a college student and they just add or a high school student, right, Sister Reed, and they just add anything to get to that thousand-word threshold. But no, that's not what these are about, right? And they might seem that way at times. It's like, why are these even even here? But these superscriptions, they do many, many things, and they can tell us a lot about what these psalms are about. Uh, Some of them tell us who wrote the psalm. Others give musical direction. Um, some tell us what that, uh, or others tell us that it is to the chief, uh, musician. And that meant it was for, it was given literally to the chief musician in the temple for public celebration, which was basically the same as today. It would be like if a song was in the public domain, Right. So these these superscriptions, that's some of the things that they tell us. They also might tell us the genre of the psalm. And there are many genres within the psalms. There are hymns. There are psalms of praise. There are prayers. There are others that are for instruction, which we've kind of covered a little bit already. And some superscriptions also tell us that a psalm is for a holy day. Again, we talked about that a, a little bit. But this is more specific, like the dedication of uh, Solomon's temple. One of the psalms tells us that that was the purpose of the psalm. It was for that specific day. And other psalms are for the Sabbath, so they would be recited on Sabbath each week. And others have a superscription that give us a historical annotation. And this helps us with an interpretation of the psalm. And I've got um, kind of a modern example of that, okay? So probably, who here knows the song Blessed Assurance by Fanny Crosby? Yeah. We all probably, most of us know that song. If you have, don't know that song, stick around a little bit. I'm sure you'll hear it. And in the song, there are lyrics that that talk about things like this. One of them says, visions of rapture now burst on my sight, and another lyric says, "'Watching and waiting, looking above.'" And these lyrics with no historical context or annotation are, are, are up, they're uplifting, right? They can be an encouraging to us that we have a hope that's beyond now. We're waiting for our Savior to return. But when you learn that the person who wrote a vision and sight and watching and looking was blind it gives a new depth to these lyrics. It gives a spiritual connotation to them. She wasn't literally looking up into the sky, which maybe we've done that before, just waiting for those clouds to part. But she was speaking purely in a spiritual sense. And this is the kind of depth that a historical annotation can give to the Psalms as well. An example of this is when we look at psalm chapter 63 in it david writes these words he says my soul thirsteth for thee and a dry and thirsty land where no water is and if you hear that you probably think man that's that's really good right you know you're thirsty for god But if you look at the historical note on this psalm, you'll actually discover that this is not just a metaphorical thirst. David was actually in the Judean wilderness when he first conceived or thought of this psalm. And in fact, he was in the same wilderness where Jesus would be many centuries later when he would take that 40-day fast in preparation for his ministry, and he would be thirsty in a dry and thirsty lamb, right? And so that's why when you're reading the Psalms, it's important to take note of these, these, these annotations, these superscriptions, so that we can have a better understanding of what is really being said there, right? It can take it to a deeper level to us. And while... The Jewish people clearly use these. We've talked about a lot about it. They've clearly used these psalms. They had psalms for special holidays. They had psalms for special events like the dedication of the temple. They had psalms for certain days of the week. There were a, was a psalm for Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and then Friday and then a psalm for right before the Sabbath and then a psalm or probably several for the Sabbath, Right. And they would use them for all kinds of different days and festivals and life experiences. Today, we as Christians don't celebrate those same holidays for them pretty much. We also don't really have the tunes or the melodies that were used with the Psalms during biblical times. So we can't necessarily use them as a way like we use our ABCs to help teach, you know, preschoolers how the, the alphabet. We can't really use them in the same way like that, right? But, Christ, um, but that does not mean we cannot use the Psalms today. And I think that's pretty clear to us. But I think it's, uh, it's, it's even deeper than we might even know. Christians from the first century on, always used the Psalms. In fact, Jesus himself spoke often of the Psalms. The two New Testament shows us that early Christians used the Psalms extensively. In the New Testament, in fact, there are between 60 and 70 word-for-word citations from the Psalms. And even beyond that, there are hundreds of other illusions towards the Psalms. Um, also, in in the New Testament, in places like Mark 14, Acts chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 14, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, and other places, it it shows us that the first century church sang hymns. And many of these, if, if not most of them, likely came from the book of Psalms. And even beyond, and, and that kind of makes sense, right? These were mostly Jewish people at the time. But even uh, Christian writers from the late 1st century and the 2nd century following the death of the original apostles referred to the Psalms in their writings. And this happened really all throughout Christian history, even continuing to today, right? Right? Even today, there are Christians who use psalms and read and recite and sing psalms on certain psalms on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Day, uh, Lent and Palm Sunday, and Easter, which we all, we just went through, right? Pentecost Sunday and other times. There are psalms that are associated with, the, with our holy holidays. Just as the Jewish people did for a millennia before Christ, these are still used to this day in order to praise God and honor God. And, and, and I just think this is so beautiful. You know, it brings us a connection that we are not separate necessarily. We are a continuation of this body of God's people. We are God's people, right? Just as the Israelites were God's people in the Old Testament. We've continued similar traditions. We do it in a little bit of a different way. We do it on different holidays, but we've continued this tradition. And it's just, it just shows, uh, to me, it shows that it's the same God, yesterday, today, and forever, right? And it's pretty incredible. But, and, and I think that's all well and good, but how can we use the Psalms in our everyday life? right? We can use them as prayers. In fact, songs to God are, or at least they should be prayers, right? When we're all here on Sundays and we're all singing together, like if we were all here, if those songs weren't prayers, it would almost be kind of weird. We would just be singing to some invisible, with no meaning behind it, some invisible being, and it's like... it. It would just be odd, you know, but when you look at songs and not just the Psalms in the Bible, but songs as to God Christian songs as prayers and we're all collectively praying to this God that we believe in who came to this earth and died for us and and rose again so that we could overcome our flesh and our sins and be saved from our sins it's, it's a really amazing thing. And so we can use, not only as a group, but as individuals, we can use these books as prayers. And, you know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us to pray without ceasing. Well, guess what? Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. Anybody ever, like, felt like they needed to talk to God, but they didn't know what to say? Well, I think a great thing to do when we're in that situation is to pray Scripture, And I think a great place to start, if you're not sure where to go, what scriptures to pray, is go to the Psalms. Because they are prayers. They're literally prayers, most of them. And really, all of them, on a level, are prayers. And so it's a great place to start. And the Psalms can also be a source of comfort and encouragement to us today when we're facing difficult times. Um, Two weeks ago, Pastor Kristen talked about the book of Job, right? Right? And sometimes people try to, like, to me, if you're going through a difficult time, the book of Job is not the place to go. It's just not, it does not have the answers. It's not even that comforting, to be honest with you. Even when God responds, like, he responds rightly and justly and wholly, but it's not super comforting, to be honest with you. But to me, the wisdom book that is the most comforting book when you are going through trials, when you are going through life situations, is the Psalms. And, and I've personally seen this in my life. Uh, back in 2016, I was on a mission trip. I was in Scotland for nine months. Many of you probably know this and remember this. And I, I worked as a, a missionary for, for nine months and I was coming towards the end of my time in Scotland and I didn't know I didn't know what I was going to do. I was kind of anxious about it. I was kind of worried about it. And I prayed quite a bit about like what okay, what's the next step? What am I supposed to do? And then one day I don't remember, I think I just decided to Jump into the Psalms. I don't know why. I mean, clearly it was God, but I don't think I had a reason in my mind why. And, and I found myself in the 37th book of Psalms. And I was just, I was reading through the whole thing. And I was reading through it, and I got to verse 30. And verse 30, and then continuing to verse 31, says this. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice the law of his god is in his heart none of his steps shall slide and i thought it, it just in that moment immediately i didn't have any more anxiety about what the next step was i didn't know what the next step was but i knew that as long as i continued in my relationship with god no matter what happened my step wouldn't slip even no matter what that next step was, if I felt 100% certain about it or not, I wasn't going to fall because God was with me. And that's, that's an example in my life where the Psalms just brought me such peace, such comfort. It didn't give me an answer, but it pro- brought me a peace that passed understanding. And, and I think this book of Psalms, when you are going through something in your life, is, can be that for all of us, any of us. And so that actually brings me to my app time question, which is this. What is a passage in Psalms that brought comfort to you or helped you in a life situation and how did it do so? Well, praise God. I hope you guys feel encouraged by what you just heard. I do, certainly. Um, And that was my hope. That's my hope is that you heard somebody else's story about how they found the peace and comfort in a psalm, and you found hope and built faith in that. And while that's—it really is amazing— the hope, the encouragement, the faith that can be built in the Psalms. There is another way that we as Christians have a connection to the Psalms that's different than even from the Jewish people. In our, um, the text that we are using, the handbook on the Psalms, the author brings notice to this, and he's talking about how Jesus was very aware of the Psalms. He quotes them regularly. He even, when he's tempted in the wilderness. It's the Psalms that he's quoting back to the enemy. And he he speculates even that Jesus probably had the entire book of Psalms memorized. Then he goes on to say this, but on another level, Christ's relationship with Psalms is even closer than we may suspect. The strangeness of the Psalms, the claims of complete innocence— the pure hatred of foes, the cries of vengeance, and the certainty that God has forsaken the psalmist, the certainty that the angels will intercept the psalmist's leap from the heights. And, and who's ever read the Psalms and thought, this is kind of, we're supposed to love our neighbor, but this is kind of vengeful and hateful, right? Um, But he says, this should alert us to the fact that these are not, at least directly, our prayers alone to pray. They are, in a sense, the prayers of another. And who could pray these prayers but Christ? The psalmist wrote these psalms, but it was the Spirit of Christ who informed them. And he goes on to make the point that when we pray the psalms in our own lives, when we sing the psalms, uh, on our own or even as a collective of individuals, we, we don't do it alone. He tells us of an author, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I believe is his name, and he argues that when we sing the Psalter, when we pray these prayers, our singing and our praying are merely echoes of Christ's own prayers. We pray the prayer of the Psalms where we're remembering that Christ fully experienced the condition under which these petitions were made. So when we're praying these for ourselves, Jesus has already prayed these. And he's prayed them for himself, but I believe he's prayed them for us as followers of him. And not only are they his prayers, but they speak of our Messiah. In every single Psalm, Jesus can be found. Yes, we can use the scriptures as devotional literature. We can use them for comfort, for finding strength and hope. They can soothe our hearts when we are troubled. But they go so far beyond this. In his book, The Messiah and the Psalms, Daniel Seagraves says that there are not a few Messianic Psalms scattered throughout the book, but rather that the entire Psalter, from beginning to end, testifies of the Messiah. He goes on to say that when we we read as a messianic book, Psalms takes on a dynamic dimension beyond that of devotional literature. It is no longer a section of the Bible that we turn to only when we are searching for encouragement or wisdom. It is a book we turn to in order to know Jesus better. This does not eliminate its devotional value, it enhances it. Now we see that the one with whom we identify are in suffering, and the victory is not just David or some other human author, it is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so while I think we should find comfort and wisdom and guidance in the Psalms, we should always remember that the entire book is about Jesus. And He is at the center of it all.
0: This podcast was brought to you by The Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about The Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music,